Life can find us paying for the sins of others sometimes. Yet, we still have a responsibility as Christians to act as God desires for us. Oftentimes in those situations, doing right requires trust and faith in God because most people will try to influence you to a more worldly decision. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. And in today's sermon, Don't Do Unto Others, taken from 1 Samuel 30, we will look at how an Amalekite raid on David's camp put him at odds with his army and how it was David's faith in God which helped him to guide him through the difficult situation. Last week we talked about the faithfulness of God, how that is assured no matter what we're going through in life. And today I want us to consider in light of God's faithfulness, trusting God, even in situations that are brought about that are not the impact of decisions you've made, but your result of another person's lack of doing what God wants and also being able to differentiate yourself from the general crowds to get to what God wants you to do, even in the midst of a difficult situation. Now, where I'm going to be coming from is 1 Samuel 30, and this is a little bit right before the death of Saul. And we find that David is in Ziglag, because he was fleeing Saul. But while David's in Ziglag, David has been on this campaign with his soldiers to where they have been raiding territories and taking their resources and accumulating some type of material gain. And one of the people that they have been uh, raiding was the Amalekites. And while this is not a big point for this sermon, One thing that I would consider is don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Because sometimes when the shoe's on the other foot, it's not as comfortable as one may think it should be. So what I would say that we should consider to some extent is Making sure that the actions that we do, especially in light of being on the redemption side of the cross after Jesus was sacrificed, is don't do to others, even our enemies, what we would not want them to do to us. Now, with that being said, we understand that David was in a different context historically because God had his people in this realm of salvation history actually destroying the enemies of God, pagan worshipers and the like. But now we're not called to to be as physically violent. We're supposed to stand up and take a stand for God, but we don't have to go out and kill those who are opposed to God such as they were called to in the days of the kings. So with that in mind, we don't want to do to others what 
we don't want them to do to us. And part of what happens to David is in response to what he has been doing in the countryside while he's been living in Ziglag. And so let's read 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now, when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a rain on the Negev and on Ziglag. They had attacked Ziglag, burnt it down, and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed none of them, but carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned down, and their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was in great danger, for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in spirit for their sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David said to the priest Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and surely rescue. So David set out, he and the 600 men who were with him. They came to the Wadi Besser, where they, those stayed who left behind. But David went on with the pursuit, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind, too exhausted to cross the Wadi Besser. In the open country, they found an Egyptian and brought him to David. They gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink. They also gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins. When he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong? Where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to a Amalekite. My master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. He had made a raid on the Negev of the Kehethrites and on that which belongs to Judah and on the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag down. David said to him, Will you take me down to this raiding party? He said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. When he had taken them down, they were spread all over the ground, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great amount of spoil that had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David attacked them from the twilight until the evening of the next day. Not one of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoils or anything that had been taken. David brought back everything. David also captured all the flocks and herds which were driven ahead of the other cattle. People said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Besor. They went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. When David drew near to the people, he saluted 
them then all the corrupt and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said because they did not go with us we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except that each man may take his wife and children and leave but David said you should not do so my brothers what with what the Lord has given us, he has preserved us and handed us over to the raiding party that attacked us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For the share of the one who goes down into the battle shall be the same as the share of the one who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. From that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel. It continues to the present day. When David came to Ziglag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel and Ramoth of the Negev and Jatir and Arior and Sifmoth and Eshtamar and Rachel and the towns of the Jehemielites and the towns of the Kenites and Hormah and Borashan and Athach in Hebron, all the places where David and his man had reigned. If you can recall, the reason why David has gone back to Ziglag, where all his family is and possessions is, is because he was going to go out with the Philistines to go out and fight against the armies of the Israelites. But the Philistine captains had told uh Achish said, no, we don't want David fighting with us because he's going to turn on us. So he sent him back. And on his return back, where we had saw that God was keeping David from fighting Saul outright, he comes home and he sees that everything is destroyed. His town is up in blaze and all of his possessions are gone. And as we saw, the man that was with him wanted to kill David. Just imagine. You have been with these people. You've been traveling with them all of this time and they have entrusted their lives to you and you have had some success in acquiring materials. You've been going out and raiding these different armies. And next thing you know, everything that you guys have had is taken. You're in the same boat as them. And they turn all their anger to you, and they say, let us kill him. That's the, the situation that David is in. His fellow man wanted to stone him. But if we think about this situation, and we think about who it is that actually took their possession, the Amalekites, what do we have to consider about those people, the Amalekites? It was because Saul didn't do what God had told him to do that the Amalekites were even present. Remember, Saul was given an instruction through Samuel to go and kill the Amalekites, utterly destroy them for what they did to the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness. And Saul, wanting to appease the people, kept the best of the Amalekites alive and when Samuel comes down to see Saul he calls him out on this and this is the reason that Saul loses the kingdom the Amalekites 
A problem that wasn't supposed to be there, but they were. A problem that David has to deal with that doesn't fully get resolved until the days of Esther. Until after God's people have went into exile, does God decide to finally destroy the Amalekites. But Saul was supposed to do that. And it's because Saul didn't do that, the kingdom was taken from his hand. And the same people that Saul was supposed to destroy now are a thorn in the side of David. So some of the problems that David is dealing with is because Saul didn't do what he was supposed to. And at times in our lives, some of the problems that we deal with is because the generation before us didn't do what they were supposed to, and now it's having a negative impact in our lives. And all we can do is deal with it, accept it, and move on in faith. And so sometimes we look at the status of the church. Issues that one would have thought would have been addressed in a prior generation, but they weren't. And the church is not as strong as it should be today because others before us didn't do what they were supposed to do. So what do we do with that? I think what we do is recognize that the impact that we have as a congregation can have lasting results if we don't fully do what God is asking us to do. The problems that we allow to persist could come back and have a negative impact on the generation behind us if we don't do all that God is calling us to do. So the first thing that we should do is learn not to be like Saul was because in avoiding addressing problems, avoiding to demonstrate the faith that God would have us and do his will totally could put somebody else in a bad position. David would have avoided all of this if Saul would have just stepped up and did what God asked. And so some of those things that we have to think through is what is it that God is asking, commanding, telling us to do individually and as a congregation? Go out and spread his word. God's asking us to live faithfully. Demonstrate the full measure of faith so that we can put those who are looking up to us in a better position than we are. Because if we do not address sin in our lives, sin in our midst, then those who are following after us will still have to address it. And it will not be easy. So we must be considerate of the impact that we're going to leave behind. But there's a flip side to that. 
What do we do when we're confronted with the neglect of a previous generation? Dare I say, that's when we really have to trust in God. Dare I say, that's when we have to separate ourselves from all of those who are around us and strengthen ourselves in the Lord and do what it is that God wants. Because we're still going to feel the same impacts as everybody around us. David, he didn't have his possessions set aside, saved, and still at the house. But what he actually had was David still lost everything. David still had to feel the impacts of losing his wives, losing everything that God had given him as well as his fellow man. And on top of all of that, they wanted to kill him. One would think that his soldiers would have empathy. One would think that those that he had gone out with that had drawn to him when he left Saul would say, you know what, David has lost like we have. But what actually happens is David is blamed. David is blamed for what Saul neglected to do. And as a leader, David still has to lead these people. So what does David do? He finds strength, he finds recourse in the only one that he can, which is God. When everybody turns against us, no matter what the situation is, no matter what caused it, no matter who it is that is angry at us, we have to learn to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Because a lot of times it's not that we're not going through the same thing as everybody else. It's that we are looking for a different resolution that others should be looking towards too. We're not looking to blame. We're looking to solve. So David didn't look to put the blame on anybody else. He looked for the resolution which he knew was in God. He strengthened himself in the Lord when everybody else around him wanted to enact vengeance upon David and how does he do it he goes to God and asks him, God will these actions result in the outcome that I'm looking for and what does God tell him yes it will you'll recover your stuff you will defeat the Amalekites and in this passage to where God tells him he's going to recover his possessions, defeat the Amalekites, we see that as David goes about this to seek some type of vengeance, he still has mercy, grace in his interactions with others. So you think of the Egyptian. He feeds them. He gives them something to drink where it would have been just as easy to neglect him, to abandon him, to even kill him because he could have associated him with the raiding party 
and went and said, God said we're going to be successful, so I'm going to kill him, get him out the way, neglect him, ignore him, and go and get our stuff. But no, David says, feed the man. Give the man some drink. And even goes on beyond. He just doesn't give him bread. He gives him some raisins. He gives him some figs, which I'm pretty sure was very tasty to the man. Very pleasing. Almost like giving him a piece of cake on top of the bread and water. He makes an oath with the Egyptian. No, I'm not going to kill you. No, I'm not going to hand you over. Just show me where they're at. And he shows them. And in showing, we see that there were some soldiers who just were not as fit, who just didn't have the same energies as the rest. So 200 get left behind. And with the even smaller band than they left out with, 400 people, God grants a victory to David and his men. And when they return their possessions, they see they haven't lost anything. Matter of fact, they've gained more because these Amalekites had been raiding numerous people. So all of the possessions that they had, David now accumulates. And there's some vain and worthless fellows who are in his midst. Who says, no, these people didn't go with us, so they don't deserve anything. But David, showing grace and mercy, says, give them an equal portion of what we have recognizing that it was God who granted it. So it's okay to share. What God has blessed us with is not to be lorded over. It's not to be a cause of greed, but to utilize it as a blessing for all of God's people. Because we see David even extends that blessing to those in Judah of his fellow tribe whom he has left because he has fleeing from Saul. So David's not even in Israelite territory, yet he's still thinking about God's people because he recognizes that it's God who brought him the victory. He can trust that God will provide him with what he needs, be it direction, be it strength, be it material possessions, if he follows him. No matter what anybody else says, if I hear God's voice in the midst of all of this, I don't have to worry about losing anything. I don't have to worry about keeping all of these things that God has blessed me with because he can give me more. Because I trust God. Because God has been faithful to me. Because God has provided a way when it didn't seem like I had a way. Because God has protected me in the midst of my enemies and these hardships that I'm going through are not a sign that God's not with me. But it's a sign that God is faithful no matter what goes on around me. And so what David has come to the understanding is that if I'm going to leave God's people, it's God who I must trust. I must learn to differentiate myself from the crowds. I must learn that even if I'm going through the same problems that everybody else around me is going through, 
I have to pray to God and not let these situations determine my actions. Because God has been faithful to me, I'm going to trust Him. And because I trust God, I'm going to put more trust in Him than the things that He provides for me. And I can have mercy. And I can show grace to the people with whom I'm in relationship to. They might not live up to the same standard that I'm at. So they might get tired on this journey and they might need to take a rest and that means I have to go out with less people than I initially set out with. But God is still going to give me the victory and I trust that. And when he gives me what he has for me, I'm not going to be stingy with it. I'm still going to share with my brothers and sisters. Why? Because God can give us so much more. Why? Because God has given us a promise as his people that he actually has a place for us in the land of rest and we will receive it no matter what it looks like is going on around us. So we can do what God tells us to do even when it appears impossible. Even when it appears that I've lost everything. I have no one. And God is telling me to go because you will be victorious. I have to trust that. And I have to go lead a bunch of people. I have to be with a bunch of people who still want to see my blood who are blaming me for their problems. And I trust that God is going to vindicate me and I have nothing to worry about. In this life, we're going to encounter hardships because of things that other people have done. That's just life. We're all interconnected and our actions have an impact on everybody else. We just have to accept that. That some of the problems that we are encountering are because others didn't do what they were supposed to do. What's our answer? Trust God. In this life, we are going to be in situations to where the hardships that we encounter are the same as those around us, yet they're going to hold blame on us and they're going to want us to be held responsible for it. What's the answer? Trust God. Don't allow their voices to cause you to join in their chorus of complaints. You learn to trust God no matter what's going on because you'll learn to hear God's voice through all of the madness. You'll learn to pray to God to hear what it is that He wants you to do through all of the confusion, the pain, the hurt, 
the sense of loss and God will give you the answer that will restore you that will bring you to a better place than you were before you were even at a disadvantage but you have to trust God and not the people that you're with and in this life God's going to bless you. And God's actually going to give you sometimes more than you deserve. God's going to restore all that you have lost. And what do you have to do? Trust God, not the things that God provides. Because there is a temptation, if we're not focused right, to look at the blessings and hold that more tightly than the one who blessed us. So how do we show trust in those situations? Dare I say, grace and mercy to others whom we come across on our path in doing what God calls us to do. So it might look like showing kindness to a stranger such as the Egyptian. Assuring that you're not going to do them harm if they help you. It might look like providing, restoring loss to those who were on the path with you but just couldn't keep up and they had to take a break and you are blessed and you say, you know what, even though you didn't go out and fight with me, you had an intention to, but you just couldn't continue on the journey, and you had to stop at some point. Here you go. I'm going to give you an equal portion because God has blessed me. And I'm looking to the God who blessed me over what he's given me. It's trusting in God. And it might look like just being a blessing with what you've been blessed with to your fellow brothers and sisters. So God has given you. He's restored you. He's amply supplied the things that you want, need in this life. So you look to others and you say, here you go. Because God has given me, I'm going to give to you. And my brothers and sisters, dare I say, that's how we demonstrate trust in the God who's been faithful to us and separate ourselves from our situation and the people in it so that we can follow God no matter what's going on in our lives. Because we know he has a better place for us. And we know that it's by following him, not those around us, that we'll get there. God's working in all of our lives. God's working in all of our situations. And God has a plan for us that he actually is going to actualize. The desire is that we so much see what God is doing in our lives that we're not hindered by situations that would challenge us. 
we're not crippled by people who we are in relationship with. But we actually utilize our relationship with God to demonstrate the depth of faith he's calling us all to. That's my prayer. That's my hope for everyone here and everyone who comes. We don't know what life will hold for us, but we do know that God holds it in his palms and that he controls it and that we can trust him because he's been faithful to us. He's given us a promise. And we will actualize everything he has for us. We just cannot allow life to cause us to lose faith. David is a good example of that. And his time in Ziglag proves that even in difficult situations, God is still with his people. I pray that we see that more and more as we continue our journey with God. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.